Welcome to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening yeah. to Faith FM. We're super stoked to have you here on this 3.35 p.m. Thursday afternoon, picking up the kids, heading home from work, mm-hmm. heading out for whatever it is that you're doing, uh, heading home from school. Hopefully, maybe you're even heading out to do something awesome outside like hit up some amazing surf with some of these beautiful offshore winds that we're experiencing. You know, great things like that. Yeah. But how are you going today, Beck? Yeah, I'm going really well. It's a beautiful day outside. Oh, how nice is it that it's not like blowing a gale and freezing like it has been the last five days? Absolutely. But it has been cold in the mornings, I must admit. It'd be like three degrees when I've been awake. Yeah, it. it's... You know, it's actually funny. It's kind of felt a little bit like it does in the mountains of recent because when Mm -hmm. you're in the sun and the sun's warm, it feels great, but the breeze is actually very fresh. Yes. And you get that a lot in the mountains. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So how are you going with your... You told me on the weekend, actually, (laughs) that you had succeeded, I believe the word was, with some of your getting up early plans. Now we. Yeah. We all know that you've talked about this about a month and a half ago. Absolutely. And uh, every time we've asked, it's been like, well, ask me next week. <laughs> so how are you going with it this week? Yeah, actually much better. Oh, that's and good. So Maybe we just say- need her to stop asking. <laughs> Maybe not goal fully attained, but really good. So this morning I was up at 5.30, yesterday 5.30, day before 5.50. So look, like things are happening in this space and I'm feeling good. I'm I'm waking up much more naturally early. Oh, that's excellent. So it's that's a good. good feeling. Keep watching this space. I like it. How about you, Robbie? How's your early to rise going? Oh, my early road to rise is, is, is not going at all. <laughs> but what I did do this morning is I got out for a surf and there were barrels everywhere and everybody was getting tubed. I almost got tubed. I'm still working on that skill. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But it was great. That's good. But this week I've had a, I had a really great opportunity. My good friend Boris, he actually put me onto a birding app. Now I know what you all are thinking. You're thinking Robbie birding is <laughs> the most boring thing. And the rest of you are thinking, what in the world is birding? It means bird watching. It's If you're a bird watcher, they have a name for it, birding. You know, you got to call it shorter or cooler. it was twitching cooler. or something. No, I think that's um, having a spasmodic muscle movement, to be honest. But he gave me this app, and so yesterday I went for a walk, and I got to see all of these amazing birds. I got to identify them because this app also had sounds, so I went and, and identified a satin bower bird, which was really cool. They make really cool noises. There was all this. I just I had a really great time because I've always loved to be able to go in the bush and then to be able to identify what it is that's around you. And it's just, it's amazing how many wonderful things God has created. Yeah. And to be able to go out and identify the differences and know the sounds and the calls and the names of these different creatures, I find it such a rejoice, a joyous occasion, refreshing. But that's not what we're on air to talk about. Today, (laughs) we are actually continuing our Heroes of Faith journey, and we're going to be looking at the first of a few parts of the story of a man named Joseph. So hold on to your hats and glasses because that's where we're going today. Where are you now when darkness seems to win? Where are you now when the world is crumbling? Oh, I, I, Child. Hey, look up, child. 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. And uh, just a reminder, guys, if you have any Bible questions or spiritual questions or questions about God, we'd love to hear from you. You can call in with any questions at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. You can text in at 0491-064-669, or you can hit us up on Faith FM Australia's Facebook page. Yes. So I'm going to pitch it over because it is time. It is time for what a weird and wonderful world. That so what do you have for truth. us today, Beck? I was actually listening to Louis Armstrong this week. It was fantastic. <laughs> So before we do my fun facts about the world, actually, I wanted to speak to something that Robbie said. I said that I thought possibly in terms of bird watchers, you could be called a twitcher. Uh And he was like, no, no, I think that's like an arm movement. Well, thank you, Wikipedia. It says the term twitcher, sometimes misapplied as a synonym for birder, is reserved for those who travel long distances to see a rare bird. That would then be ticked or counted on a list. Okay, so I have a friend. I have a friend who actually is a twitcher. Then, yes. like he drives. Yes, well, we have the same friend. Yeah, he's driving all the way around Australia essentially, and he's his main goal is to look at birds and go yes. rock climbing. So yeah, that's epic. I want to. I want to live his life today. Yeah. Do you know why <laughs> why they were called twitchers? I don't know. Be- so it originated in the 1950s. Because they're following fast birds and they have to look left and right? Because it was used for the nervous behavior of Howard Medhurst, who was a British bird watcher. So he actually was nervous and he used to So twitch. he was twitchy. And so, and so they then became they, twitches. So everybody got called his name. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. All right. So. What other fun facts do you have for us today? I loved that. So the fun fact that I had comes somewhat from the Bible story that we are looking at today. And we are learning about camels. Camels. Camels Camels is what we're learning about. So there are a lot of camels in the world, more than 14 million. 14 million. (laughs) That's three times the population of Sydney, isn't it? Or close to, close to. (laughs) So most of them live in the Middle East, Asia and Australia. Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, because they were introduced to Australia. They're not native at all. No. Which is strange. Yeah, you don't think. But we do have a lot of desert here. That is true. And they do thrive in the desert. That is true. So I learned so many fun facts about camels. I didn't know, like, almost all of these things. But we were talking about dehydration earlier, needing to drink water. So the majority of mammals only need to lose 15% of water before they become dehydrated, but camels are able to lose up to 25% before becoming dehydrated, so they can go much longer without water. Mm. There's only two types of camels. The two humped and the one hump. Yes. Is that right? Absolutely. That is absolutely right. Can I I tell you a quick story? Tell me. I rode a camel once, and of all places, I think I was in Kentucky. yeah, you wouldn't expect to find camels in Kentucky. It was at a it was at an exhibit, but anyway, sitting in between the two humps is not any more comfortable than sitting on top of one of them. Oh, it is a very uncomfortable ride. I'm okay. gonna just I'm just gonna put that out there. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. ridden horses before. You didn't horses have a are fine. Saddle? Did you not have something? Like oh a yeah, that was on a saddle. Oh, it was terrible. Oh, it was so uncomfortable. <laughs> and and their gait, their the pace of their walking was so different than a horse that I just felt like I was. Getting, getting jarred seasick. all the time with my back. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so they're not that comfortable. It must be an acquired skill. Yes, absolutely. So camels have three sets of eyelids and what? two, and two what? rows that of eyelashes. Sand out? Yeah, two rows of wow. eyelashes and three sets of eyelids. I'm so glad that people don't have that. That would be weird. <laughs> that would be weird. They can completely shut their nostrils during sandstorms. Wow. Yeah. Do they just hold their breath? 
Look, I didn't look that fucked up. <laughs> no, well, I was just, just trying to think, how do you survive that? So, and this is cool. I didn't know. They have thick pads of skin on their chest and knees, which allows them to sit comfortably in hot sand. Wow. So they don't get burnt. What an amazing God we have. Yeah. So creative. Incredibly so, clever. The humps that they have, often people say they're filled with water. Not really. Fat. So, so they're filled with fat. Yes. Absolutely. I got one. So they can one live, right. live off of that for weeks, even months. But they can convert that in, you know, when they start to get dehydrated, they can convert part of that to water as well. Wow. So get moisture. they can store a little bit. That makes sense. Yeah. Fat has a moisture content yeah. for sure. So when they finally find water, they can drink up to, oh, I was going to look this up and I forgot, 40 gallons in one go. I think there's like 120 litres. There's 3.78 litres to a gallon. So if you multiply it by four, you're pretty close. Excellent. So 160-ish. Litres in one go. Wow. A um, little less than that, but yeah. Yeah. Wow. They can travel up to 64 k. And an I think hour. it's hard to drink two litres in a day. That's so true. We were just talking about that off air. <laughs> So true. And the last fun fact, which is really interesting, if you visit Abu Dhabi, you're able to pick up camel a camel milkshake made with real camel milk. So this milk has, <laughs> it has loads more vitamin C and iron than cow's milk, and it has less fat. So it's actually better for you than cow's milk. Huh. Interesting. Maybe that's saying more about the fact that we shouldn't be drinking cow's milk than that we should be drinking camel's <laughs> milk. I don't know. Maybe I'm not picking up what you're putting down, but yeah, you. <laughs> So true. And the last thing I was going to say. Does is it taste like goat's milk? <laughs> camels can live for a really long time. They can live from 40 to 50 years. I hope that I can live longer than that. Yeah, that's That is true. a long time for, for many animals though. Wow. Yeah. So that was some of our fun facts about camels. And if you guys are listening later, you're going to hopefully hear and be able to pick up in our Bible story where camels have been drawn from. That's right. Listen up for some camels because we're talking about Joseph and some of the story takes place in the desert. Thanks, Beck. This is Bart Millard. I saw the light. Filled with sin, I wouldn't ask my dear Savior if. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Just like a blind man, I wandered alone. Praise the Lord, I saw the light, I saw the light, I saw the light, no more darkness, no more night, now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM. Just a fresh reminder that you can send in some questions that we can respond to at the end of the program during our Question of the Week segment. And you can do that by calling in 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Texting in at 491 or sending us a message on our Facebook page at Faith FM Australia. So today for our Testify segment, Beck is going to share with us a story about God's faithfulness. So we're going to hand it over, Beck. And w- so tell us the story. This I'm excited to hear. Yeah, this is cool. It just came to me and I thought, man, it's about journeys and we're looking at a story about journeys today. Um, so me and some friends, I'm from WA. We were heading down south for a big like six-hour trip with some other friends of ours for a camping trip. Now, I'm usually quite a prepared person in terms of trips. Um, my dad, as we grew up, he used to always um, prepare us for things, kind of like scouts and preparing. And we used to go canoeing and then he'd take us out into the middle and capsize it so we knew how to be capsized. So I was quite, I'm quite used to driving in the country, doing long trips and journeys. But the problem with this was that I wasn't the one driving. It was another friend of mine, someone who I just sort of met, and she was driving. So when I drive, I bring a jerry can, I bring water, fuel, all this stuff, and quite prepared. She came and we ended up going in her car, and she was not really prepared. And um, it ended up being me driving, but we didn't have, and I felt so bad about this, but this is where the story comes from. We didn't know exactly. It's not an adventure until something goes wrong. Absolutely. We didn't know exactly how far it was, but her fuel gauge, I said, how far do we have like on, on the fuel? And she's like, oh, we've got about like, you know, two hours. And I was like, yeah, but how many cases is that? I don't know how yeah. many hours that is. So it was quite a, quite a rough guesstimate. So now we're heading into the country. And thinking, I was like, okay, we have to pick up some fuel on the way there. And we were going into a country town, and I thought that there would be like 24 hours or something towns. They were not. They closed at like 6, 7 o'clock, so we got there. made that mistake before. (laughs) You only make that mistake so many times. Yeah, and there was no fuel. Um, I was starting to get mortified because I'm a natural leader, sort of responsibility taker. I had a friend in the car who was falling asleep, my other friend in the back, and I was driving and starting to pray. And I was like, oh, Lord, we need fuel before we meet our friends. But also, we didn't have reception because we were in the bush bush. And so it was very hard for us. We couldn't contact our friends to let them know and it was going through my head as we're getting closer to our destination but as the fuel gauge is going further and further down so I start driving slower so that we don't use it we're not using aircon or heat or anything um trying to conserve fuel and so I was praying and we stopped instead of prayer and we're like lord look after us but I kept praying as we're going um and we got to one of these towns and there was a water service guy and he said hey do you want to use my phone we said, absolutely, used his phone to call our friends who didn't answer, but we left a message saying, look, if we don't make it tonight, it's because we've run out of fuel. We're parked on the side of the road sleeping. Worst comes to worst, we'll flag a car down in the morning. Like I had a plan, but I was starting to get concerned because they had some of the camping stuff for us. So we're going along and we had it on my GPS where we needed to go. And for some reason, which I now believe to be God, the GPS 
turned and it turned a different way and we started going down the wrong way for like 20 k's not what you can do if you're trying to conserve fuel so we're going in the wrong direction for like 20 k's but in that drive I turn out and look to the left and there was this bus which looked like a school bus and I was like oh strange like school bus just being here in the middle of the bush someone was camping and they renovated the school bus and so um suddenly I realized another 15 minutes I was like oh we've gone the wrong way how can we have gone the wrong way because I just checked the GPS again said a prayer very frustrating now we're going like half an hour out of way turn to go back the other way and I was like we're gonna run out of fuel like this is it like it's getting it's on the red we don't have enough and I saw the school bus and I just felt impressed like go and ask them go and ask see if they have fuel and I was like yeah it's like 9 30 at night this is weird you don't want to knock on a stranger's door but we didn't really have a lot of options. It was me, two other girls. I was like, well, there's three of us. I feel like we'll be okay. We went and knocked on the school bus door and this guy came to the door and he had on like a nightcap, but I didn't know. So at the time I thought it was like, I was like, is this a witch's cap? Is he a wizard? What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> he's it, just from an older generation. This is just, it's just it was, a cultural thing. It was so funny because he's like, man, we've just turned the lights off. You'll never guess. He's like, we run on diesel. We don't have petrol, but today we decided we just fill up on some petrol to run a generator over the weekend. He's like, you're so lucky. Do you have any money? We can just, and I was like, oh, we have 20 bucks. Yeah, could we buy some off you? And he's like, yeah, we never carry it, but we've got some. So he filled up our car. We gave him the 20 bucks um, and we had the fuel to get to the campground and it was just enough. And I just wanted to give such a shout out that even through our lack of preparation and my mortification that we weren't ready um, through the prayers, God looked after us, this group of girls, um, and just provided for us through going the wrong way, which I thought was going to be a total wrong move, but God turned it for something good. And it was just such a blessing. That's awesome. Oh, man, that's going to tie so... There's so many similarities to the story of Joseph. Sometimes the path that God needs us to go down to accomplish his task, yeah. his goals, his bigger outcomes, sometimes they don't look like the direct path that we would expect, Absolutely. So I love that. That's so, so applicable. Wow, praise God for that. Hey, and I love that God cares about the little things in our lives enough to interact and to take care of those needs even before we know that they exist. This is Brian Literal, You Alone. Joy in the faces will never be a shame. 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. It is now time for us to move on to our Bible study, and I'm super excited for what we're going to look at today. But before we do that, because there are going to be some questions that yes. come out in this story, and I would love to hear your questions. So how can they send in questions, Beck? Absolutely. Please send us a question. You can call in 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text us on 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. Or you can go to our Facebook page, Faith FM Australia, and send us your thought-provoking questions. And I'm going to send out a little shout-out to my friend Joel because I told him he should be listening today and he should send a question. So if you're listening, Joel... We love to hear your question. <laughs> awesome. All right. So we're going to be turning to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis is the first book in the Old Testament, the first mm-hmm. book of the Bible. Joseph is one of the, I mean, you could you could almost call him one of the patriarchs, right? You, I mean, technically he is not normally called the, one of the three patriarchs, yeah. but, but he's in that, the next person, one of the next in line. He's one of the 12 tribes. Um, actually, he has two sons. We'll find out later in the story. And there are two tribes named after one for each of his son. Um, but Joseph is a very interesting character, and we're going to follow a bit of his story over quite a span of time. Yes. Um, for us, it'll be two or three separate Bible study sessions, but 
in terms of the years, it'll be something to pay attention to because there's a lot of time that passes in this story. Yeah. He starts off as a teenager and he ends up definitely not a teenager. So keep that in mind as we go because it's a very fascinating story. I'm super excited to get into it. So those that are not aware, you have Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and one of Jacob's 12 sons is Joseph. Yes. Joseph is also mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, which is where we've derived the whole idea for this series of heroes of faith, people who are mentioned in Hebrews 11 particularly, and that's where we're going from this story. But before we do that, you know, something I've realized is we always pray about our Bible study before we come on, Mm. but we never pray on air. So I thought that today we might do something a little different. So we're just going to say a prayer, and we just want to invite you to do that because I think it's important Mm. that we just highlight that that's a reality. Whenever we study scripture, we shouldn't just study it like a book yeah. or any other thing. There are things we can learn about how to study it like we would from other books. However, the most important thing that we're looking for is that the Holy Spirit would speak to us and show us something from these stories that we can apply in our lives that will teach us about who God is, about who we are, about how we should live, etc. Um, and that's a really powerful thing because the Word of God is powerful. But it's not powerful just on the shelf. It's powerful in real life. Yeah. So, God, we just want to ask that you would be with us as we study Scripture today, and we pray that you would be with each of us and that you'd lead us to understand you better through this, that you would draw us close to Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so hit us with it, Beck. We're in Genesis chapter 37, and let's start with the first four verses. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel, also Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Okay, so there's already like the the startings of a serious drama happening. Yeah. If you were watching the opening scenes of a movie, this would be like, okay, this is the signs for disaster, right? Okay, so how many children did Jacob have? Yeah, he ended up having 12. That's right. 12 sons, and then there's at least one daughter in the story named Dinah um, that's mentioned. So he had at least 13 children, right? Now, here's a question. That's a lot of kids for one person to give birth to. Did he have all of these children to the same wife? No. No. He had multiple wives, and therein, I think, lies a lot of his problems. That's right. Okay, so we will probably look at Jacob a little bit in this series as well. We're not necessarily going in chronological order, but Jacob had... Two wives, and then according to cultural custom, which is not a God-ordained thing, but was a culturally acceptable, appropriate thing for his time, even though it's not a good thing. Um, And what's amazing is that God works with us in spite of some of these circumstances and blesses anyway, although it could have been a lot easier if he had not gone down this path. So he has 12, 13 kids, excuse me, to four different women. And by the way, all four of those women continue to live there the entire time. Yeah. This is a recipe for huge disaster. Absolutely. And not only at that level, but, you know, we have issues, like major family issues within one family that sits in, you know, a a neutral, sorry, nuclear, a typical nuclear family of a father and a wife, 
a father, a mother, and children, there's enough challenges in that kind of mix. And not all of us have been, you know, fortunate enough to be in that circumstance yeah. for, for a variety of reasons. And that's all right. God works with us where we are. But just imagine the complexity of having five parents living in this space and all of the jealousy and backbiting that would be taking place, which we do find happens in the story. Yeah. There's a lot of manipulation happening among the different wives. Jacob obviously has got some problems. And now we see a major issue that plays out into the next generation, and that is the issue of favoritism. Now, here's a question for you, Beck. And this is not doesn't need to be too personal, but does favoritism in the family ever cause problems? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's something that we always have and and struggle with in families is that the kids like oh thinking that someone loves someone more than them. You know, I think it's definitely a problem. But like you say, even in a normal, like, you know, when I say normal, I mean one father, one mother sort of family, here they have multiple wives. So you think, man, how much more would that think if these kids look and think, oh, well, this wife's being favored more, their children are being favored more than us. Mm. So it's not even just like, oh, you favor my brother or my sister over me. It's you favor the wife and the children over me. That's right. It's just a deeper level, right? Layers of complexity. Now think about this too. With 13 kids, they would not all be at the same age. So there's, and and we'll see this in the story, that there's quite a, a variance of ages. So when Joseph is 17 years old here at the beginning of the story, some of his brothers already have children, right? And so some of his siblings, multiple of his siblings, in fact, are married themselves, have kids, and so there's quite a quite an age gap in there. And there's still, we see this issue of jealousy playing out. And I wanna just highlight something that's important for us to recognize. Whose fault primarily is all of this stemming to, stemming from, I should say? Yeah, it's really stemming from the dad, right? That's it's right. It's really stemming from Jacob, from many things. I think it stems from here. It says that he favored him, outwardly favored him. Um, and also, yeah, his original problems of having too many wives. God never said that. He said to have one wife and to cleave or, or join with that one wife and to remove from your family and then start your new family. Mm. He never said had this many women because it causes so many problems. That's right. We weren't designed to be in, in polyamorous relationships. Now, what's amazing and, and also so beautiful, as I said before, is that God works with Jacob in spite of these things. Yeah, we all make mistakes. Amen. And that doesn't mean the mistakes are great or okay, but God is, God is working in, in spite of our circumstances, which often, as in Jacob's instance, we've kind of set ourselves up for. But this is such a profound point, and I don't want anyone to miss this. The responsibility that a father has in the home is profound. And all, a lot of this story, a lot of the challenges that come out in this story could have been prevented if Jacob had been willing to treat all of his children with fairness yes. and equity and yeah, to display 100%. love to all of them so that they all knew that there was not a favorite child. But he, in favoring one, sets all of them up for failure. Now, that doesn't take away their personal responsibility, but it does set them in a position where it's much harder for them to learn to do the right things because he's setting them up to do this. Yeah, right? and I, th- I think Setting even, them up for failure, so to speak. Yeah, and we're gonna see a little bit later as we go on in this story, some of the issues that the sons have is also an issue that Jacob had. And so it's almost like problems in the family we see passed down from one generation to the next. And it was problems that he probably didn't really address with them. That's right, that's right. Okay, so we're gonna look at 
the next section. So, so far, we find that his brothers hate him, his father loves him more than the others, and displays that partiality, which the Bible says partiality is sin, right? James chapter five, sorry, two, verses one through six, James rebukes the early Christian church, and he says, hey, when somebody comes in who's wealthy and you favor them over the poor, he says, you are doing something that is a sin, he says, there's no partiality with God. God is no respecter of persons. Nobody gets favor because of position or wealth or other things. He says, no, that's not okay. You're setting these things up for failure. And hasn't God chosen the poor to be blessed, and yet you honor the rich instead of the poor because you're showing partiality? And so we see this in the, in the story. So his brothers hate him because he's favored. Let's keep reading from verse 5 through verse 8. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream, which I have dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Okay. So let's pause there. So what's going on? Yeah, I think, um, I don't know. I was sharing with Robbie. We don't know exactly the, the mindset of Joseph, but it seems through, as we go through the stories that he is generally a good guy. He, he follows God um, and he tries to do the right thing. Now, we don't know if he's like a little bit, I don't know if this is the right word to use, like a little bit stuck up or different things. Or is he, I was sharing with Robbie, maybe he's a little bit like me. Maybe he's a sanguine. And so what he thinks, he just shares. He just wants to share and experience and talk about with people and and think through. So be that as it may, he has this dream, which sort of shows that there's one person in the middle and then these sheaves bowing down. Um, and it's, it implies that it's his brothers and they're bowing down to him. And he shares this with them and they hate this. That's right. In the dream, your sheaves that you have gathered bowed down to my sheaves yeah. that I had gathered. Yeah. What are sheaves, Robbie? Um, so this is collections of hay or other things. Yeah. So you've got these bundles that you've collected of uh, goods of, sorry, what's the word I'm looking for? Plants. Yeah. <laughs> In harvest, right? And so he says, yours bowed down to mine. Now think about this. It's a little naive. This is, I like yeah. the word that you chose to use, naive. For him to go and share that with his brothers and expect for them to all be excited about that. Just imagine I came to him and was like, God gave me a dream, and yeah. in that dream, you were bowing down to me. Yeah. Uh, thanks, bro. We already hate you. Yeah. So here's another lesson. Don't go around tooting your own horn, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. sometimes we need to be a little tactful yeah. with the way that we share some of these things because he kind of sets himself up for failure again, and it's... He's a little naive in that respect. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean you, you shouldn't share what God gives to you by any means. But perhaps he could have sought counsel from his father and say, hey, dad, I had this dream from God. I, didn't, I don't know what it means. Maybe he would have been wiser to take it there first. Yeah. Because I think, it, I think he would have known that his brothers already had a problem with him. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Because it says they hated him and could not speak peaceably to yeah. him. Yeah. And maybe he was sharing, like he could have been just very erroneous in what he was sharing. Like he was sharing, I want to share with them and mm. tell my experience and build a relationship. Maybe he genuinely didn't know what it meant, but he was like, oh, this is a cool, crazy dream that I've had. But either way, I think you're right. Like seeking counsel about the way in which we do things. Mm. Um, I feel bad for him too. I feel like, yeah, he's naive and he just wants to be friends with his brothers and they don't want a bar of it. Yeah, hard having you know 10 brothers that don't like you and i don't even know if his youngest brother's born yet yeah so (laughs) 
that wouldn't have been. Uh, I think. Oh no, his. I think his younger younger brother is. But anyway, that's a, a, another a side point. Okay, so they hated him for being favored by his father. Yeah. Which is not his fault. It's his father's fault. But unfortunately, that's the way it went. Now it says that they hate him also because of his dreams and for his words sharing the dreams. So they didn't just hate him because he had the dream, but they also hated him for his words that he gave. And so that seems perhaps to imply maybe the way that he said it was, was not presented in the best way. Or it could even be the other way that sometimes you present things and, you know, when people... People misconstrue. Yeah, misconstrue it or they're so good in the way that they present them um, or or so eloquent and you look at them and you think, man, I'm envious of them just for who they are. Yeah, that takes place. That does happen. All right, let's keep reading. Let's read from verse 9 through 11. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Interesting. So now he takes this dream to his father. But he'd already told his brothers. Now, I think it would have been wise to perhaps do it the other way around. But notice that even his father is rebuking him and saying, what are you talking about? Will, will all of us bow down to you? But notice that he also says he kept the matter in mind because he knew that this came from God. This is Marlita Fong, Better Than I.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. So we've just gotten to the portion of the story where we find out that Joseph's brothers hate him. He's given dreams by God, and the next part of the story is about to happen. So his father kept these matters in mind, it says. Now, if you guys are having any questions about this story or any other stories, Please send those in. You can call in at 1-800-324-843 for our question of the week. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. You can also text in, because I know that not all of us want to talk to our amazing producer like I do, but um, 0491-064-669 if you want to text in. You can also send us a message on Facebook. All right, so we're back into Genesis 37, and we're continuing on the story. So we've got Joseph. He's 17 years old. He's, uh, He's the second youngest of 12 brothers. That's a lot of brothers. Yeah. That's a lot of, there's probably a lot of fighting going on physically, I imagine, growing up there as well. And now we're coming into the next portion of the story. So let's continue on. What's going to happen to this Joseph who's hated by his brothers even more now that he's shared with them these dreams he's had? Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him and there he was wandering in the field and the man asked him saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. All right, let's pause there. All right, so what's going on here? Basically, they've gone on a journey. They're taking, uh, he's called Israel. So I just wanted to clarify for some people who are listening. Jacob, his other name is Israel. He was given So Israel Israel and Jacob are the same person. Two names, one man. Absolutely. And so most of the brothers are out looking after the flocks of sheep. Um, or goats. I think it's sheep though. And he's looking after them. And Jacob says to Joseph, he says, go and find your brothers and tell me if they're going okay and give them, you know, bring good word and bring it back. So I know that they're doing all right. That's right. So they're looking after all the farming animals. They're journeying around looking for grazing options. And so he's on the journey. He finds this dude. Well, this dude finds him wandering in the field. He's like, I don't know where these guys are. That's how I picture it anyway. And he says, hey, what are you looking for? Oh, I'm looking for these people. Now, remember, this is before cell phones. This is before uh, driver's licenses. So it's pretty awesome that this guy knew where, it's, where, they, where they were, really, and then sends them off to the next place. So he's looking for his brothers. Doesn't this sound familiar to anyone's life who's got younger siblings? Your younger sibling is out, and they're looking for you. And like so many other siblings, uh, perhaps they're not excited to see him. So let's keep reading. So let's read from verse 18 through verse 22. Yeah, this is even less than excited. It says, Now when they saw him far off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Okay, whoa, hold on, hold on. So not not just, hey, we don't want to see this guy. Let's hide, let's run, let's beat him up. What did they, what, what did they want to do? Yeah, they conspired to kill him. So think about this. We, we often look at these stories and we, we, we just don't, Think about the significance of this. He has 10 older brothers, and they are literally planning to murder him. Now, we sometimes joke, and we're like, oh, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. We're upset, and we speak words like that, but mm-hmm. we have no meaning or anywhere near the intention of doing that. This is serious. 
they're not only saying, oh man, I hate this guy. I could, I could wring his neck and, and just meaning I'm a, a, angry. They're literally plotting and planning how can we do this and kill this person, get rid of him, and so that we cannot get in trouble for it. It also really, it really shows the depth of uh, the sin and the envy and the hatred that they had. Because you're right, when you think about killing, like, you know, there's people who I've had uh, problems with in my life, but I... I don't sit there and think of killing them. You know, it's not like I don't sit there and conspire to think and try and kill them. Um, and it's not because I'm perfect. I just mean that it's not like that level. I've, you know, they've not mm. done something to me personally at that level that I'm like, I want to kill this person. But here, this is their brother. So like their blood and it's really bad. But I, I really was listening to what you were saying before about them being older brothers and grown men. And you're thinking these aren't just kids, like angry kids or teenagers or, you know, they've got a jealousy issue. These are like grown men men who are filled with so much hatred that they just want to murder their brother um they're probably not even viewing him as a brother anymore or or they just want him to not be there so much that they just want him to be gone now think about how serious that really is this is serious sometimes we we miss the gravity of what's going on so let's keep reading then they said to one another look this dreamer is coming Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. Okay, now let's pause for a moment. Reuben is the oldest of all of the siblings. Yeah. This is the oldest brother. Now, this is interesting to think about. You know, there's some, there's some ethical questions that are really going on here. Reuben's hearing all of this. He's got nine brothers who are conspiring to kill his, his younger brother, right? Now, he didn't share a mother, the, the same mother with Joseph either. It's not like he had some sort of special reason. He was in the same boat as these others. Yeah, absolutely. But he says, no. Now, now, now take note of this. He's the eldest. He's in a position of leadership. They would probably be looking to him as a leader. And yet, he, on the one hand, he says, this, he, he does something great. He's working to protect and save Joseph. So he speaks up as a voice of reason yeah. in the midst of this. And he says, don't, he convinces them, don't kill our brother. The bummer is, the way that he convinces them is not by saying, this is wrong, we should never do this. I will not stand for this. I will protect him. Yeah. But he says, hey, he kind of does like a dirty, let me, let me pretend and lie and, and kind of connive to get him protected. And, and we're going to find that later on the results of this don't bear the fruit that he's aiming for. Yeah, he's planning to come back and rescue him. But you're right, he doesn't say that to the brothers. So what he's doing is he's, he's, he's kind of playing the same kind of trick. And he's like, no, 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 let's just throw him in a pit. Right, and then we'll leave him. And then in his mind, he's like, "So we'll throw him in a pit. Then I'll come back and I'll get him. We'll get him home, and then then everything will blow over. It'll be sweet, right?" And we're going to find that that's not exactly how it turns out in a moment. And we'll address that, I think, when we get to that. I've got some things to share on that, but that's an interesting point. He says, "Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness. Don't lay a hand on him." In other words, he's saying, "Don't kill him. Let's leave him here to die," right? Yeah. Now, if he was really going to be courageous. He should have stood up and said, you can't do this. This is wrong and I won't stand for it. I'm the eldest. 
and I'm going to protect him and we're not going to harm him because he's family, right? He's flesh and blood and we shouldn't be doing this. But he's unwilling to take that extra step. He's trying to his credit. But sometimes we need to have the boldness to put ourselves at risk to bring about the right outcome because that's what love really does. It says, I'm willing to put myself on the line for the greater good of this other person. And because he's not willing to put himself on the line, there's negative consequences still. But let's keep reading. Verse 21. Oh, sorry, I just, not verse 23, sorry. <laughs> That's again, I was like, Robbie wants me to read it again. <laughs> so it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels. Aha! Camels, everyone. Bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. All right, let's pause there. Okay, there's a lot going on in this story. There's so much going on, in fact. So we've got... A number of brothers here. Now we've got another one named. So who do they see a band of merchants? It says there's a certain uh, genealogy. Who are they related to? Yeah, Ishmael. Ishmael. Ishmaelites. Okay, now now let's, let's do a quick history lesson here for those that aren't familiar with who the Ishmaelites would be. Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. On Abraham's journey, God promised him he would give him a son through his wife. They were both very old, right? He was like, I think he was in his 80s, if I remember correctly, when he has this son around 86, 87. And they believe that God's going to give them this promise. But after so long of waiting, like X amount of years, they come to a point where he, he go, well, we're going to try and get this a different way. Maybe the way that we'll do this is culturally acceptable, even though it's not what God promised. And so, and we'll probably get to this story somewhere in the series, but the, the point is that he winds up sleeping with another woman so that she'll give birth and then they'll raise it as if it's his wife's child. Yeah. Right? Now, what's amazing is God's willingness to continue to work with failing people. And that's one of the resounding stories of Scripture is that God is willing to work with people who are broken, who continue to make mistakes, who make bad choices, who disbelieve, who believe but then try and get things their own way in sinful ways. But the point here is he had a son that was not the legitimate son and eventually this son Ishmael goes away and continues to have his own life and his own progeny and now it's interesting that if Abraham had done the right thing there never would have been this whole tribe of people to sell people off into slavery you know yeah it's very interesting to think about how the mistakes that were made have consequences that are so long lasting. And isn't this the truth in our own lives? Yeah. We make choices that are not good choices. And we think, oh, well, that's a bad choice and it had this negative impact and that's it. But the truth is, many of our decisions have much broader influence than we think. 
for good or for ill, right? And so here we see the consequences of one, two, three generations previous, how those mistakes are resulting in further negative consequences. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't that interesting? So that's just something to really keep in mind. Now, that does not mean God is not able to bless. It doesn't mean that God is not able to redeem, but it doesn't, but the fact that God is redeeming, the fact that God is blessing doesn't always mean there's no consequences. Real decisions have real consequences for good or for ill, and we see that happening in the story. Yeah. So that's the Ishmaelites, but what else is going on? So they see the Ishmaelites, Judah's like, who's another one of the brothers. And in fact, Judah is the line from which Jesus descends eventually. And Judah's like, hey guys. Let's profiteer uh, from this situation. That's right. <laughs> now this is gonna be really important as we get to the end of the story because Judah's a character that comes up again. But he's like, we're not just going to leave our brother here to die. That'd be, that'd be too harsh, man. He's flesh and blood. Let's sell him as a slave and make 20 pieces of silver that we can split the profits. Doesn't sound like his intentions are really that good, do they? Yeah, he makes it, he sort of covers it. He's like, oh, well, let's not kill him. Let's just profit from him and then lie about it. Oh, it's such a harsh story, man. Now imagine, by the way, sometimes people forget this, but Joseph's in the pit next to them and hearing all of this. It doesn't say that they walked away to have a meal. It says they threw him in the pit. There was no water. They sat down to eat. <laughs> right? So imagine being Joseph, totally destitute, totally broken, emotionally abused, physically abused, assaulted, thrown in a pit with not even any water to drink, waiting to see if they're going to rescue you or you're going to be left to die. And then there they are talking about how they're going to profit and sell you as a slave to make money for themselves because it's, oh, maybe we shouldn't actually kill them, right? Imagine being Joseph right now. Imagine where, where would your faith in God be? It would be on shaky ground. And he's going through all of this, and it's almost like it's almost like you've got you've got one blow after the next after the next. So I was hated by my brothers, then they hated me more, then they decided to throw me into a pit. Now they're talking about selling me as a slave. It sounds like before that they were gonna kill me, but now because they can make a profit off it, they're gonna sell me instead. And you're like, you imagine what you'd be thinking, you'd be like, why I wish I just stayed home today, you know? what's going on with my life? Where is God? What's going on? And so often in life, we have experiences that are challenging, not too unlike this. Some of us go through big experiences like this. And all of us have experiences that can relate to this in some degree. And often the question that's bouncing around our minds is where is God? And who's going to help me and save me? Because it looks like there's no good way out. And we're gonna find out how God responds. This is Carter and Carter, Busy Man. There's a little boy out in the driveway, his basketball in hand, saying, Daddy, can we play a little one-on-one? Pat him on the back and say, Not now, son, I'm a busy man. Everyone can see you're going far You've got responsibility 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM, and if this is our last warning for question of the week. So if you'd like to send in a question for the Bible, uh, for us, rather, about the Bible or about God, about Jesus, about you know anything on those kind of topics, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, you can do that by doing the following. Yes. And maybe, I mean, warning is a heavy, maybe last opportunity. That's a better well. word. I, I didn't mean it like a negative. <laughs> I mean, like... Yeah, you know, like this This is the last time I'm going to get to remind yeah. you before like it comes to that time. If you have a question, put it in now. Please so, do. Yeah, absolutely. We love questions. That Sometimes we get some hairy ones, and we're happy for those too. We're also happy for not hairy ones. Like, can be simple, can be complex. We would love to hear from you. So, please send in your questions at... 1-800-324-843. You can call us, 1-800-FAITH-FM. You can text us on 491 that's zero four nine one zero six four double six nine, or you can go to Facebook Faith FM Australia. Awesome! So Joseph's here. He's in a pit. Now he hears that there's foreign people who are coming, who are actually technically a few generations back and sideways, half related to him. Mm. And uh, these people are merchants, and they are actually in in the business of the flesh trade. Right now, by the way. Sometimes we forget that this was normal for most cultures up until about 200 years ago. Yeah. Um, even less, perhaps, right? So slavery was not just 
the way that we often picture it is sometimes it was very brutal. And in this instance, it was, it was definitely not, um, servanthood as we see it as a system. Uh, what am I looking at as an economic system that was favorable? This was, but, but, but slavery was something that was common to every culture up until very recent history. And it usually had to, like often, not always, but often had to do with if your tribe or group of people was um, in battle with another group of people and they won, then they would sort of enslave you. But it didn't always mean, yeah, like, um, like you say, really deep labor. It could just mean that you were now their servants. So whenever they go out to battle, you go out to battle. There were different levels of it. And when we talk about you know slavery or servanthood in in terms of what Scripture talks about, that's a different kind of system, again. But what's going on? What I wanted to highlight here is that slavery was very common all throughout human history, essentially up until very recent history. So this would not be anything new or surprising for them to be hearing about. But imagine the terror of being made a slave. And so this is where Joseph's at. So let's keep reading. Let's find out what happens. Verse 29. Did you read 28? I'm sure. Let's just read 29. it anyway. <laughs> then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? Okay, so check this out. Think about this. Joseph has actually been sold as a slave, right? I kind of missed that. I, I was talking like he was still in the pit, sorry. But he's been sold as a slave. They've gotten 20 pieces of silver, but Reuben was not there when they made this decision. Yeah. Right? Reuben had gone off to do something so that he could come back and get Joseph out when they had left. Right? So he's hoping to do the, the, the good thing, but because of his cowardice to stand up and do the right at cost of self, he's lost his opportunity to do right at all. This is a powerful a, point. Yeah, that's amazing. Sometimes, I think it's so good. Yeah, sometimes we lose our opportunity to do good and to do right because we're afraid of the cost that it might have on us. Now, Reuben could have stepped up and said, I'm going to stand up for my brother. You can't do this. And he might have been thrown in the pit too. But he also may have been able to convince them otherwise. And Joseph might have been brought home. And yet, because he left, left it to its own devices to see it play out so that he could come back in his own time and get him at no cost, no expense to himself. And they did not do that. They sold him. He lost his opportunity. Where do you go? You don't know who he's been sold to. You don't know how to find him. How are you going to go and fight off an Ishmaelite army by yourself? Like, what are you going to do? It's over, right? And so Reuben goes back, and imagine the panic in his mind. He gets to the pit, you're way expecting to find your brother, and he's gone. You come back, and you say to your brothers, he's gone. I went back to find him, and he's gone. Oh, what will I do? Because think about this. He's the oldest brother. He's the one with the most responsibility. He's the one with the most authority. He's the one who should be looked to for decision, for action, for leadership. He's supposed to be responsible. And now he's the one who allowed this to happen under his watch. Imagine the guilt that he would have. All of them would have guilt eventually. But imagine the guilt he would feel. Now, what do I do? How do I come and talk to my father about the fact that I could have stopped this? I could have stopped this. And because of my cowardice, to be upfront at the time I have failed to do so. Yeah, it really makes me think of um, wanting to stand up for what's right and what's good and doing the right thing in the moment at that time mm. because you don't know if you'll have that opportunity. And I think of the people that we've already looked at in the past few weeks about 
people who are faithful. So we looked at Daniel and how he was faithful and he was always faithful in the moment at the time. And when there was a test, he was faithful at that time. And then you look at his friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and they were faithful at the time. They didn't just run away or try and hide when they were supposed to bow down. They said, no, we're going to stand tall despite the consequences. And they trusted in God that he could lead them through. And I think of going further and, and looking at Jesus and Jesus always did the right thing mm-hmm. and he didn't back down from doing the right thing. And I think like this is such a powerful story for each of us. Like there have been times in my life when I've stood up for things um, and I've been rejected because of it, but by people at school for different reasons. There are times when I should have stood up for things and haven't done and you regret and then someone else stands up and you think, man, I could have been that person. And not even so what is being the person, but what is God asking me to do in this situation? What is the right thing to do? Mm. And there's a Bible commentator who writes about it and says this powerful statement, which I can't remember it word for word, but basically that the something that the world is lacking the most is men and women who will stand for the right, though the heavens fall, they will do the right thing um, because they're trusting in God and they're doing the right no matter what. And Reuben had that opportunity and he didn't do it. And maybe in our lives we have that opportunity and how often do we put it off for something because of peer pressure, because of other things that are happening. But what is God calling us to do? Mm, totally. Great question. All right, well, let's read to the rest of the the end of the chapter, and that's where we'll close out today. Verse 31. So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. Awesome. Not awesome for Joseph, but awesome that we've gotten to the rest of the story for today. So they get there. Now now notice this also. Reuben, after finding that he is guilty and could have confessed to his father what's really gone on, he says, no, nah, I can't do that. And he conspires with his brothers and participates in the deception of his own father. They bring the, they dip the coat in blood and they come and convince their father that he's been ripped apart by wild animals. And they continue to live for years and years with this guilt on their shoulders, continuing to lie to their father. Mm. And how many times do you think he would have asked them? Like he would have asked them about the situation or where did you see it? Did you, could you really not find him? And they would have to constantly lie. And maybe at first it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been hard, but I think as the time went on and as his grief was there and it says he refuses to be comforted that the, the heaviness of what they've done um, starts to impact them as a family. Totally. You know, you were talking about during the break how, how lies, you know, sin leads to more sin, doesn't it, right? And so here that the original sin that was taking place in the story, which starts with hatred, by the way, hatred, Jesus says, is what leads to murder. He says, if you have hatred in your heart, you're, you're already guilty of murder in your heart because you don't, you don't commit murder 
without the hatred. Right? And it's actually really powerful because Jesus says that about your brother. That's he said, right. If you hate your brother, Woo! you're murdering Preach. him. And that's the same thing here. They hated him and then they conspired to murder him. We actually see that parallel. That's really cool. I hadn't seen that before. That is really cool. And so what we see here is that their sin leads to more sin, to more sin, because that's the nature of evil. Evil is always leading to more evil and never to catharsis or to bringing things back. It's when we're willing to confess wrong and repent that we see catharsis really take place. And so far, we don't see that in the story. This is Anna Beden, Better Day. Here is the land These people have much less than 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM Radio. And it is time for question of the week. What time is it? What time is it? Oh, do we not have the thing? Oh, no. Oh, you know, one of the great things about being on radio, my friends, is that when you make a mistake, there is no, oops, redo. You just have to roll with the punches. Absolutely. So it's some time it's for, like so you cue the jazz music. You, yeah. you cue that jazzy, jazzy tune that we had. You, you do it. It's time for question of the week. Hey, that was all right. That was, that was good for improv. I liked it. I liked it. Okay, so... Oh, do you have it now? Oh, do it, do it, please. Question of the week. Oh, I love it. I love how it ends on it's that. So sweet. Yeah. So good. We should get somebody with a much deeper voice than mine to do it. But anyway, it has come to that time for question of the week. I got to practice saying it that way because we've changed the title of it to week, not day, because we're only here once a week. So the question for this week is, why do bad things happen to good people. Yeah, heavy question. This is a big question. And I suppose the converse of that question is why do good things happen to bad people? But maybe we can answer that another time. Um, so I'd like to have a look at a book called Job. Now there are many places that we could look and there's, there's lots of things that we could learn. But I want to highlight the story of a man named Job. Because Job, which is also one of the oldest books in the Bible, Scholars argue between whether it's older than the books of Moses or just around the same time. But Job is a very old book. And what's amazing is that this theme of, what, of, the, of the battle between good and evil goes all the way back to one of the oldest books of Scripture. And I think that it gives us some great insights. Absolutely. So in the book of Job, it says that there was a man named Job. He was blameless and upright. And one who feared God and shunned evil. This is Job 1 verse 1. He says, it says that he had seven sons. He had three daughters. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, etc., etc., etc. He had many people. He had a very large household. He, his, this man was the greatest of all the people of the East, it says. So notice it says he was blameless. He was upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. This he was, was a, a man, man. That's right. He was a good man who had integrity. Right Now here's the question. If a good man who has integrity, who's got all of these things, is about to, hap- ha- about to lose all of these things, what's going on? Why, why does this happen? Because we all have known people who we think, these are good people. Why did they get sick? These are great people. Why did they lose their possessions? These are good people. Why did their marriage fall apart? These are good people. And we can list all of these things and so often this is a question that kind of rattles at the bottom of many people who have had faith and lost it or struggle to come to faith because they they struggle with this question but i want to highlight something in the story of job it goes on to say that there's this discussion that takes place in heaven so in job chapter 1 verse 6 it says now there was a day when the sons of god came to present themselves before the lord and then it says also Satan came among them. Now what's being pictured here is kind of like kind of like a heavenly report room. And it seems to indicate that there are beings who are coming to represent groups of people, right? And Satan comes as a representative from planet Earth, right? We know that there's angels who exist in heaven and, and they're they're, you know, the Bible leaves it open that there could be other beings on other worlds, etc. 
But what we do know is that there's a council among people. So it could be just a council of angels, et cetera. But Satan comes as representing earth. And God asks him, he says, hey, where, where do you come from? And he says, from going back and forth to and fro on the earth. In other words, this is a statement of authority saying, I'm coming from earth. I'm the representative. It's not, it's not Adam who's the representative of earth anymore. It's me, right? And these, these are my people because they have fallen into sin. And he goes on to this, this conversation with God. In other words, he's saying, hey, all of earth belongs to me and all the people follow my ways. He then goes on. God says, wow, I just looked at the time and I'm running out of time. I better hurry up. Anyway, the point is, God says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? That there's no man like him on the earth. He's blameless, he's upright, he fears God, and he shuns evil. In other words, he says, are you sure that you have full dominion on the earth? Because here's a man who actually follows my ways. He's a good man. Doesn't mean he's perfect, doesn't mean he's never sinned. Here's a good man. He says, he's following my ways. And so this discussion breaks out between Satan and God, and he's like, yeah, but you give him, look at how rich he is, look how successful and prosperous. He says, if you took that stuff away, he'd curse you to your face. And so God says, okay, I'll allow it. Because what's going on is the battle between good and evil is bigger than just our own personal story. It's actually a story that goes back to the fall of of Lucifer, who's an angel in heaven, where sin originates, with these beings called angels that existed before humanity existed. And we see this battle take place. So Satan comes and starts to attack. And Job has a lot of misfortune. He loses his family. He loses his cattle. He loses all these things. He's left destitute. And then at the end of that, he doesn't lose faith in God. He holds on to God. This scene takes place a second time, and God's having this council. Satan rocks up and says, hey, where you come from? He says, oh, I've come from earth where I've got dominion. This is my planet and my people. They all follow me and my ways, not you, right? And he says, well, have you considered my servant Job? Look how he's responded to all of the bad things that have happened. He hasn't lost faith. He hasn't lost his integrity. Mm. And he says, ah, that's just because... I mean, skin for skin, dude. He's still alive. He's, I mean, he's healthy. You took that away from him and he'd curse you to your face. And so God says, okay, I'll allow, I'll allow you to start, start impacting his health, but you can't kill him. And so what's very interesting here is that sometimes God allows things, but God is not the originator or the author of the evil that's taking place in the world. Now you might ask, so why does God allow this? Well, one of the challenges that we have to deal with in this world is one, there is a devil. There are fallen angels and there is freedom of choice. And so sometimes because of decisions of other people or other beings, difficult circumstances fall upon us that are not our own fault. And God is not in the business of just leaving us there. He allows some of these things to go on, but he is faithful. And at the end of the story, we see that he blesses Job and he answers Job's questions, but there was a time where there was difficulty. Would you like to add anything back? No, you're shaking your head at me. You're like, no, that's good. There's not enough time to say anything. Um, but I think this is a fantastic, a fantastic point. God is not the originator or the author of, of suffering or of evil or of pain, but it becomes as a result of God's allowance for us to have freedom of choice. And that is also going to come to, not the freedom of choice, but the pain and the suffering is going to come to an end when Jesus comes again, Amen. writes the wrongs, executes judgment and justice and mercy, and puts sin to an end forever. And at that point forward, the Bible says in Revelation, Chapter 21, verse 4, he says that all the former things have passed away and God wipes away the tears from our face. There will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. And in that day, bad things will no longer happen to good people. Only good things will happen to all people that are there. 
to all these good people. So I hope that that is a blessing to you. This is Frontier, Yes, I Believe. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. Whew, what a show it's been today. Yeah. A lot of an interesting stories, interesting questions to address. And just the beginning, like tune in next week and possibly the week after for like this sort of I series. I think definitely the week after. We're, we're definitely going to deal with this in two more parts. It's good. What we're going to try really hard to do is not make it four total. 
So what can we draw out? But by the way, you know, this didn't end on a, on, on any kind of catharsis to show, to throw a big weird word in there. Um, what is that? Roby? Catharsis is resolution, basically. Yeah. Bringing it back to normal, to neutral, to happy. So, okay, what's going on in the story is that we've now got Joseph. He's been sold as a slave, and we're going to find out how does God interact with this story? How does Joseph respond? And so far, almost everything that we've read about has not been good news. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So what are some takeaways that we can take out of this? Because this show is called Real Faith for a Reason. We want to make this applicable to real life. So take it away, Beck. Yeah, something that I was thinking is that, man, we don't know a lot about Joseph. And though he might have been naive and things in the way he spoke and was, he was young. And as we see him throughout the rest of the story, he has a lot of good in him. And he's following God and he's true and he's just and he's righteous in his actions. And so something I wanted to encourage us and our listeners is that sometimes we lose favor in other people's eyes uh, because we're doing the right thing. But keep doing the right thing. If Reuben had done the right thing, his brother wouldn't have been sold. There would have been so many different things. And God can work out anything, but he wants us to be faithful and do the right thing. So when you have that opportunity, do what you should do. Do what God is calling you to do. Totally. There's there's nothing that can really count for character, can you? Like nothing's worth losing your integrity for. I think that's a really bold and valuable statement. Um, excellent point, Beck. I think that something else that I want to draw out of this, because I might forget it next week, is that we do not have to be a product of our circumstance. There's, a, there's an extent to which all of us are a product of our circumstances, yeah. right? We're influenced by the, the, the way that we've been raised, etc. But what we're going to find out as we continue to read is that Joseph did not allow the negative, messed up circumstances that he came from. Because talk about dysfunction. But your dysfunctional past does not have to define your future. Amen. Your dysfunctional past does not have to define your future. And we're going to see how does Joseph respond to all of this so that he will, and I guess the question is, will he allow the dysfunction of his past to define his future or not? And we're going to discover some awesome things next week about how God comes through for Joseph. And we're going to learn that next time. So in the meantime, we hope that you've taken some valuable lessons out of this. We pray that you will be blessed as you go throughout your week. Choose to have integrity to maintain that. Be courageous and be bold. And remember that real faith is is lived lived faith. faith.